for our scripture this morning, we're going to go to Mark uh, 4.35 through Mark 5.43. And this tells about the... uh, how Jesus stills the storm. On on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then Jesus heals the uh, dressing demonic. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, Immediately a man came out of the tombs of the, uh, with an unclean spirit, met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke to pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and were drowned in the sea. The swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demonic sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and and the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. They 
those who had seen what had happened to the demonic and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused him and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. When Jesus had crossed again to the, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around the hen, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physical many physicians and had spent all she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone from him, from gone forth from him, Jesus turned about to the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion people weeping and wallowing, wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. 
he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. About 10 years ago, I was caught in the middle of a very violent windstorm down in southern Illinois that's called a derecho. And those of you who are not familiar with what a derecho is, it is described by some as an inland hurricane. The level of wind gusts is comparable to a small hurricane, and it is quite terrifying to be out in your car in the middle of one, which is where I found myself whenever this thing came through. One of the many feelings that I had at the time was the simple and utter powerlessness one has against the might of nature. Thankfully, I was able to get out of that storm with nothing lost except for a license plate. Uh, That happened when a tree dropped on the front of my car while I was in it. The car was fine, but the license plate gone. In our passages today, we get a similar idea of the powerlessness of human beings in the face of nature and in the face of the spiritual netherworld, disease, and even death. We also start to get the feeling that events are building up to something big in the Gospel of Mark. It's almost as if in response to Jesus' declaration of the coming of the kingdom at the beginning of this gospel, the forces of spiritual darkness are starting to fight back. And what we have here today are essentially four encounters with the various powers that are at odds with God's coming kingdom. The first example is the storm at sea. Now, some of us will read this and just think, this is an example of something that happens every day. There's a storm and people are caught in it. But you have to understand from a biblical point of view what a storm, especially at sea, might represent. It represents a lack of order. It represents chaos. If you go back To Genesis, at the very beginning, in the very first chapter, it says the Spirit of God went out over the waters and he began his work of creation. In essence, God is bringing something out of nothing. And if nothing is anything, it is chaos because absolute nothing has no up, has no down, has no left or right. It has nothing. And so in many ways, in Jewish culture, the sea represented chaos and terror and death. And so to be caught at a storm at sea represented the epitome of chaos at work. 
And so here you have Jesus asleep in the stern of the boat. His followers are fighting against the chaos of the winds and the waves, and they are about to be engulfed by it. The second encounter of resistance to God's rule in the universe happens when Jesus makes landfall. You have to understand the region that Jesus is coming to is not Jewish territory, it's Gentile territory. The region referred to as the Decapolis or the Ten Towns were all Gentile towns. And where is it that he lands? He lands next to a cemetery, the epitome of an unclean, unholy place. And so it even says when Jesus lands... It's not that Jesus and goes and finds this guy possessed by the legion. The guy possessed by the legion comes out and confronts Jesus. It's as if the powers of darkness are responding to Jesus' invasion into their territory. Thirdly, we have the example of the hemorrhaging woman. Again, there are things worth digging into here that go beyond just what we read on the surface. So on the surface, we have a woman who has suffered from a form of hemorrhaging for many years. All right. So that hemorrhaging is going to make her weak. It's going to make her ill. It's going to make her hurt. She has suffered much for many years. But you also have to read below the surface. Because according to the Old Testament law, any woman who was still hemorrhaging was considered unclean. And if you're unclean, you're not allowed to be around anybody. Esther and I were talking the other day, and she's been reading this book, and the author explains that what we don't realize is that because this woman is still hemorrhaging when she comes out to meet Jesus, she is in the midst of a crowd, okay? That is a violation of the Jewish law. She could be stoned for this. This is why she's so sneaky with it. This is why she doesn't just come to Jesus, says, Jesus, heal me. She comes up and just wants to touch his clothes. She's being sneaky about it because she knows if she gets caught, she could be stoned. And then, and, and, and in a way, if you look at these, they are a natural progression. We begin with chaos in nature. Then we have chaos in the spiritual world. Then we have people with disease. And then the last thing that Jesus encounters in this stretch is death. And in a way, it's not just a death, but it's the death of a child. It says she's a 12-year-old little girl. She is on the verge of of what would be considered adulthood by Jewish culture. She's a child. She has her whole life ahead of her, and death has come and claimed her. This is the ultimate example of the brokenness in the creation. If any of us encountered any one single of these scenarios in a given day, we would consider it to be a bad day. Jesus confronts them all back to back. Something that is quite apparent today is that the good news of God's coming kingdom has this tendency to stir up a considerable amount of controversy. 
The world can tolerate lukewarm Christianity quite well. But when we start to talk about how Jesus takes sinners and changes them from the inside out, how Jesus is greater than the powers of this world, how he is greater than the forces of nature, or all of these things combined, that Jesus is calling us to change our hearts and our lives to be the people that he has called us to be, well, that doesn't sit very well with many in our world today. People in our world are daily executed for making such claims in some parts of the world and imprisoned in many others. The good news of the gospel, when it is told in its fullest, when we tell about how Jesus saves not only from our sins, but from death itself. We tend to draw a lot of conflict. And we have become a conflict-averse church. We don't like conflict. American Christians in particular are notorious for going with the flow and turning a blind eye to sin and injustice for the sake of being accepted by the society as a whole. And when we do that, we not only limit our impact for the kingdom, we call into question by the world the very validity of our faith because the thing is, lukewarm Christianity never saved anybody. It never did a thing. Lukewarm Christianity looks nice on the surface, but it does nothing. It's lazy Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity that says, oh, just try to be a good person and don't offend anybody. That kind of Christianity never made any positive change in the world whatsoever. What we find in the Gospels here is a call that when we encounter resistance to the full good news of Jesus' message that he came to conquer sin and death, to make the world new, to take all of the things that are bad in this world and do away with them, we have to push back. We have to push back in the right ways, but we have to push back. When Jesus is out at sea and the storm rises up and his followers are beginning to say, we're going to die, Jesus wakes up and pretty much the literal translation is Jesus looks at the storm and says, shut up. And it gets quiet. Jesus is greater than the chaos. And this is also a, a signpost pointing back again to the very first chapter of Genesis. It's like, hey, this guy can go out and he can command the forces of nature. He can calm the waters whose spirit went out over the waters and caused the earth to come up from it. God. This is a signpost pointing to who Jesus is. The demons, when they come and confront Jesus, Jesus cast them all out. This legion. 
That name legion is important because a Roman legion consisted of a lot of troops. And the Roman legion was an invasion. It was an occupying force in that part of the world. So in essence, we can look at this as the spiritual powers of darkness are saying, we've taken this territory, we are claiming it, and we are occupying it. And Jesus takes the whole lot of them and throws them into a bunch of pigs. Jesus is Lord over all spiritual powers. When the woman touches Jesus' robe, Jesus realizes because of her faith she's been healed and he turns and faces her and he declares that she is healed. She's no longer unclean. Nobody can do anything to her now at this point. She is clean. Jesus is greater than all of the brokenness in our world. He is the God that makes the creation whole again. And when he comes to the little girl who has just died, he brings her back to life. For even in Jesus, death is destroyed. The good news of the Gospel of Mark is that in spite of the resistance of our world, Jesus is victorious over all competing powers. Jesus is greater than all things that, that might oppose God's will. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that will stop him from achieving his goal. But the interesting thing about the Gospel of Mark is that what we find, and there are going to start to be allusions to it along the way, is that the goal is not going to be what many people are going to think. Yes, Jesus is going to become king. All along the way, people are going, there's, there's going to be, start to be this push. You see it in pretty well all the Gospels, this push to try to make Jesus king. And Jesus will become king, but not by force. He doesn't do it by force, but he does it by giving up his very life. What insurmountable obstacles have hindered you in your faith? What is it in your life that has prevented you from being who God has called you to be? Jesus' power is as such that there is nothing too great for him to deliver you from. Call upon Jesus to overcome the obstacles that are prohibiting you from doing God's will. He is greater than the storm. And no matter how powerless you may feel, Jesus has all the power in the universe and he will use it to deliver his children every time. Amen.